0: I'm reading today from the uh, English Standard Version, Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Thank you very much, Bruce. Today we're continuing our summer sermon series entitled Summer in the Psalms, and that's what we're looking at, basically Psalm 92 about Psalm 107 or 108 over the course of the summer. Today we are are absorbing Psalm 93 that Bruce just read for us, and the title for today's message is simply this, Our Ultimate King. Our Ultimate King, as you may know, Canada has a monarch. Her name is Queen Elizabeth. You may be aware of a recent... uh, wedding that occurred amongst the English and the British royalty. Did anyone see the wedding Uh, of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? There's a few of you here. See that online? Okay, a few of you love the monarchy. A few of you could care less about the monarchy, but I won't go there today. Queen Elizabeth, though, is an actual monarch and head of state for Britain and even for Canada. But what I want us to look at uh, are a couple of unofficial Monarchs, unofficial kings, because probably because you know I like music a lot, so i 'll talk about a couple of kings in the music genre. We have Elvis, he is the king of rock and roll, and then we have Michael Jackson, who is the king of the king of pop that 's what they 're known to be kings of unofficially. Why was elvis so let 's talk about him initially why was he, and is he known as the king of rock and roll? Well, interestingly, when Elvis first came on the scene in about one thousand nine hundred and fifty four He was called the Atomic Powered Singer. The Atomic Powered Singer. They'd never seen so much energy and passion combined with this new music. And only two years later in '56, Elvis had already sold the most records ever, the most albums ever, okay? And that's why they started calling him the king of rock and roll. Rock and roll was relatively new on the scene. And he made it famous worldwide. He sang like no other. Wasn't that a great, is not he have a great voice? Fantastic voice. And the moves and the, the hips. And he charmed. He had that southern charm. I mean, basically, Elvis was rock and roll. You take away Elvis and you have no more rock and roll. It was very much synonymous. And that's why he's the king. Elvis to this day remains the, 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 the best-selling solo artist of all time. And the guesstimates are anywhere from 600 million records to a billion records worldwide. He holds the the record for the most songs charting on Billboard's Top 40. 114 singles hit the Top 40. And this is to prove to you why Elvis is the king of rock and roll. Let's talk now about Michael. Michael Jackson sadly passed away a few years ago. He was known as the king of pop. And he too could sing, he could dance. Anybody remember the moonwalk? Anyone want to admit to being able to do the moonwalk? Nobody. Jay, you going to do it, do it for us? No. No, I don't want you to do it for us. You'll embarrass me as well. Anyhow, I'm sure you can. Uh, Jackson was the most popular entertainer in the world for a lot of years there. His album called Thriller sold over 66 million copies alone, let alone all his other material. And the grand total sales of all his albums and all of, all of his music Total, somewhere around 350 million records sold worldwide, and it's still growing. I mean, this guy's still selling records like crazy, and that's why Jackson is called the king of pop. Here's the thing, though. As great as Elvis is, as great as Michael is and, and was and were, they can't hold a candle to the ultimate king, the God of the universe. And our king, the God of the Bible, is the most he is more powerful, he is more beautiful, he is more loving, he is more gracious, he is more eternal. He is he is bigger and greater than the mere monarchs, otherwise known as the queen or Elvis or Michael. And today in Psalm 93, we see God is giving us. This is from God and he's giving us through Psalm 93 this breathtaking glimpse of his kingly royalty. And his greatness, which I believe and I pray will give you and will give me greater confidence in who he is. A greater desire to pursue him and run after him and follow him and seek him with everything that we have. And lastly, I pray one more thing happens in you and happens in me. I want this psalm to give us greater courage greater amount of steel in our spines to face head-on whatever uncontrollable chaos might be occurring in your life today or that you will face tomorrow or in the future because you see our ultimate king, he is the most reliable, trustworthy person that you can connect yourself with in the midst of uncontrollable chaos. We'll talk about that later. Alright. Let me give you the big picture view of this psalm. What you need to know about Psalm 93, it's all about, you guessed it, God's kingly reign and rule over all creation. Everything that we see has been made by God. Everything that we don't see has been made by God. He created the universe. And generally speaking, if you make something, you own it. If you paint a painting, you make a clay figurine, you tend to own that thing. I think of Darlene. She's a magnificent artist. She owns whatever she paints, and she's painted a lot of stuff. And she's given away a lot of stuff. You've transferred ownership, if you will. But that ownership belongs to you because you made it. And therefore, God, as creator and maker of all creation, um, he is the owner of it, you see. And that's just kind of how it works. And so we see this in our psalm. Has anyone here been to the, the top of Mount Seymour? Okay, in the summertime or winter, for that matter. A few of you have. I mean, it's quite, on a clear day like today, it would be quite a breathtaking View And what you see when you're at the top of this mountain are the other mountains, and you see the, the ocean in the distance, and you might see other, other trees, and then the blue sky, and this is just a breathtaking scene that you take in, and you're filled with a sense of awe and a sense of, of wonder, and I pray that that same kind of sense of awe and wonder might occur in you as we see the greatness of God as the maker of all creation. One last thing I want to talk about, just in terms of the big picture, what we're going to see is a connection between your sense of awe at God's kingly greatness and how this sense of awe, the sense of worship, will actually help you in your moments of doubt and despair and in your hard times. God's greatness, this is the idea, God's greatness is your antidote to despair. God's greatness is your antidote to your despair. All right. Let's drill down now on verses 1 and 2. There's only five verses in this relatively short psalm. And the first three words of song, uh, verse 1 are this. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Not to be confused with Josh Donaldson, the bringer of rain. This is rain in the sense of kingly reign, okay? The Lord reigns. In other words, he is large and in charge. He is over all things. The, the Lord is the greatest king in the universe, and is, he's the, the greatest king and, and the only God the universe has ever seen. Again, he is greater than King Elizabeth, greater than Elvis, greater than Michael Jackson, but he is greater than Trudeau. He is greater than Trump. He is greater than King LeBron James. He is greater than all of these important people, but why is that? Well, he, he, why is the Lord's reign as king greater than anyone else's? Why should I, why should you pay any attention or believe that the Lord reigns over all things? Well, the answer we'll see in a little bit here. But first, this leads us to number one in your notes. There is a sermon outline in your bulletins if you do want to follow along. And number one is this. Simply, our Lord reigns as the ultimate king because. And I will give you three reasons why he reigns as our ultimate king. The first reason is little a in your notes is simply this. His throne, this comes from Psalm 93, his throne from where he reigns, and where he sits, his throne and created world are established and secure. His throne and created world are established and secure. That's why our Lord is large and in charge, and why you and I must and should live in submission to his good reign and rule in our lives. God made everything. He established the world that you and I live in and that we enjoy. It all started with him. He is the great cause of the universe. He is the great catalyst of it. And God made it, and now he sustains it. He holds it together by his great power. He is our, not just our creator, but our sustainer. And the psalmist says that this created world will never be moved. It's secure. It's solid. You and I get to live in a stable and reliable place. Thank you, God, for that gift. For example, you may have heard of the CUBE building. Is anyone aware of the CUBE building in Vancouver? A few of you are, okay, interesting. I just learned about this this last week. And this building is is the most earthquake resilient, the most earthquake proof building in all of Metro Vancouver, all of British Columbia, probably all of Canada. And as you know, there's a strong possibility of an earthquake happening on the West Coast. Have you heard? Okay, all the way from Alaska down to California, And it's going to do a lot of damage. This is very encouraging, isn't it? So just a matter of time. Clock is ticking, all right? But it's not really ticking for you if you happen to live in a condo in the cube because you're not worried about that big one. This cube building was built from the top down. That's how they built this thing in the late 60s, from the top down. 13 stories. And what they did, they built the core of this building first and then they, they started building all the, all the floors from the top down thereafter successively and, and that's why it's so, uh, basically steel was hung down by cables from the top and that's how they constructed this, this earthquake resistant building. It's the most earthquake resistant building in Vancouver in, in British Columbia and whoever built this thing, would you call this person a wise person? Very much so. This was a great planner kind of person. And whoever lives in the cube to this day, they live with a great sense of security and confidence. They're not worried about the big one at all whatsoever. Isn't that great? Wouldn't that be a great place to live? Sort of. Here's my point. Like the cube, our world was made by a master enthroned designer for us to live in and flourish in and enjoy and be protected by. And because God's throne and God's world was engineered by God and has been established by God and and has been sustained and kept going by God, that's why you and I must pay attention to and, and give our lives to our ultimate king. He made it. Therefore, we belong to him. Therefore, we must follow him. We must be accountable to him. We must live for him. Here's the second reason why our Lord reigns as our ultimate king. Little B in your nose is simply this. He is clothed with strength. He is clothed with strength. A lot of us in this room are wearing clothes, thankfully. Um, but have you ever heard of the phrase, clothes make the man or clothes make the woman, as it were? Anyone know where this phrase comes from? Shakespeare. Okay, I tested your Shakespeare there, and you failed. And don't worry, I didn't know that either. Uh, and the idea is you can judge a person's character based on their clothing and their outward appearance. People will judge you according to how you dress. Hence the phrase, you got to dress for success, all right? You got to dress for success, that's kind of how it goes. As you know, I don't really follow this principle at all. I'm a really bad dresser. Um, I mean, blue and brown, I mean, that's terrible. But anyhow, there is some truth to this idea that clothes make The person, make the man or the woman. For example, let's talk about Thor for a second. I really like Thor, as it turns out. And uh, just to clarify, this is a fictional character in a movie series or or comic strip series. Look at this guy, though. Is it Chris Hemsworth is his name? This guy's clothes uh, really make the man. Not only does he wear a superhero cape, apparently you can't be a superhero unless you have the cape. There's something about capes, apparently. He's got the cape going on. Furthermore, he also has a metal chest guard going on. And then he's got metal arm guards over his his pipes. And then he holds in his hand a what? A metal magic hammer. This is not a guy you want to mess with if you're from the evil force or side of the world. I mean, everything about Thor screams strength, doesn't it? Screams strength, screams power. It screams steroids, all right? But when it comes, when it comes, I don't know, he's probably not a user, probably. I don't know how these, these things work, all right? But when it comes to our ultimate king, he is ultimate, he is someone you and I should listen to because, the psalm says, the Lord is so strong that he is even clothed with strength strength is how he dresses he dresses with strength this is likely figurative but god is robed with majesty the belt around his waist is strength itself i mean the clothes make the god the clothes make the god everything about god screams strength and power and might you see according to the bible god is all powerful and almighty meaning all power belongs to him He is the source of all power and the source of all strength. Nothing is impossible for God. No one and no thing ever stands in the way of what God wants to do or accomplish. No one has ever gotten in the way of what God wants to do or accomplish. You would call that an almighty person. That's God. According to the Bible, God is all-powerful and almighty. And if God possesses and is clothed with ultimate power and ultimate strength far more than any mythological Thor character, does this not back up why our Lord is the ultimate king? I mean, if you're an ultimate king, should you not possess ultimate strength? Absolutely. And this is who God is. There's a third reason why God is our ultimate king in our notes. Little c is simply this, because he's eternal. Again, if you're going to be an ultimate God, an ultimate king... You should be an eternal king, and that's exactly and precisely what God is. God has no beginning. There's no birthday for God. He has no end. He has always been and will always be. From everlasting to everlasting, the Bible says, he alone is God. He has ruled and will rule as king forevermore. So this is a reign and rule as king that will never, ever, ever, ever end. Now, let me, for comparison's sake show you some of history's longest lasting reigns of national political power. This was interesting, and I was kind of surprised by some of these nations who have reigned for a very long time. First of all, we have the Portuguese Empire. That reign lasted for 584 years. Then there was the Ottoman Empire. This is a very well-known one. 623 years is how long that reign lasted. Then you have the Khmer Empire. This is the Cambodian Empire. It lasted for 630 years. Then, okay, there's seven more, bear with me. The Ethiopian Empire, 666. The Canem Empire, which was an African empire, 676. The Holy Roman Empire, it lasted for a very long time, 844 years. The Silla Empire, that was based on the Korean peninsula, the Silla Empire lasted 878 years. The Republic of Venice, 1100. The Kush Empire, which was the, the empire located in and around Sudan in Africa, 1,420 years, and then last but not least, the Roman Empire. It lasted the longest, and it lasted 1,480 years. Now, we look at those, those length and, and how long those reigns lasted, and that's just, wow, that's an amazing amount of time that they reigned and ruled over their, their people and their nations. It's hard to even just get that around our minds. But what's even harder to get around our minds and fathom and and, and comprehend is the reign and rule of the universe by our Lord and God. From eternity past to eternity in the future is how long the Lord has been in charge. His reign is an infinity reign, if you will. And if this is the case, who better to follow with your life? Who better to give your life to? Who better to submit to and trust in than our ultimate king, who through Jesus, he offers you the opportunity to spend eternity with him. And I can say that the, the wisest thing you can do is to, is to turn to him. He is a good king. He is an eternal king. He cares for you and loves you like no other does. And he's proved that through the gospel. And the gospel message from the Bible is simply this. God was not happy with being separated from you and from humanity. We sinned against God. Nothing sinful can be in the presence of God or be in relationship with God. And God was not happy about that separation. He is holy. We are not. We sinned. We rebelled against him starting in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. We ate the forbidden fruit. We desired to become our own gods and live autonomously apart from God. And so God had a plan. His rescue plan, his rescue strategy was simply this. 2,000 years ago, he sent his only son Jesus to earth to then live your perfect life, my perfect life for us in our place because none of us in this room can live perfectly and morally and without fail before God. Jesus did that for us. He met the Ten Commandments perfectly because we could not. Jesus then, at the end of his life, died our death on the cross for all of our sins. Every sin we've committed in the past, commit today, and in the future, Christ took those sins upon himself at the cross, and then Jesus willingly chose to be crucified for you and I. And Jesus was judged for us. He endured the penalty of death for our sins in our place. And Jesus died for us. And then three days later, Jesus rose victorious over Satan, sin, and death. Those sins have been paid for in full. And now Christ offers you the opportunity to begin a relationship with your ultimate king, your eternal king. And he wants to offer this to you. And the the ball's in your court. He demands that you respond to him with repentance of your sins. Turn away from living your own life your own way according to your own set of rules. You say, no, I'm not going to live that way anymore. It's not working for me. He demands that you come to him with faith. You believe what Jesus has accomplished for you in his cross. You believe that he rose from the dead. And so you re- repent of that, you pre- repent of your sins, you trust in the cross, you trust in the gospel, and you need to be baptized. If you want to take that next step towards making Christ your ultimate king, come have a conversation with me or with one of the other Christians in this church. His eternal nature, back to my notes, his eternal reign as king gives you, gives me... An, a great sense of security and hope. This is why the wisest thing you can do that I can do is to submit to this eternal good king who offers us eternal life with him forevermore in heaven. Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. Here's what the psalmist is talking about. If you have verses 3 and 4 in front of you, he is talking about floods, all right? Floods. What does a flood consist of? Water. Water. You're right. A lot of what? Too much of it, right? And in short, he says that the Lord is mightier than, than devastating floods, mightier than the, the thunderous roar of rushing flood waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord is higher, the psalmist says. And for the people who lived in the day that this psalm was written in, one of the things that the ancient people feared most were floods. As far as natural disasters were concerned, They feared floods more than anything else. Uh, They were so unpredictable. The damage was just insane. Their homes would often be destroyed, livestock destroyed, uh, food destroyed, lives lost by floods. Floods were just horrendous to ancient people. And they hated floods. Most of all, out of all natural disasters, floods brought to their lives uncontrollable chaos. Floods brought to their lives uncontrollable, unpredictable chaos. And here's the point the psalmist is making here. Point number two in your notes, simply this. Our Lord, our King, is mightier than what appears to be uncontrollable chaos. Okay? God up here, bigger than uncontrollable chaos. Here. That's the big idea for point number two. Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever experienced some level I think the answer is yes, by the way. We all have experienced some level of uncontrollable chaos in our lives. Maybe you're at a place in your life right now where you're just like, man, I am living in a place of uncontrollable chaos. It is so uncertain. There's just so many changes going on in my life right now. It's not exactly fun unless you thrive on change. Generally speaking, we don't like uncontrollable chaos. As it turns out, you may have been following the news recently, and the residents of Grand Forks, BC, they have been experiencing a whole lot of uncontrollable chaos due to floods in their region over the last couple of weeks, very severe flooding. flooding. And what happens is, or what happened is, the reason for these floods is because the snowpack, has snowed a lot over the winter, and now the weather's warming up, and what's happening to the snowpacks? They're melting very rapidly, and this has now caused this devastating flood for this entire town of Grand, Grand Forks. Has anyone been to Grand Forks, by the way? A few of you? Okay, were they affected by the flood as well? Somewhat. Okay, interesting. So this is hitting close to home here. Uh, and so anyhow, 3,400 homes were ordered to evacuate. That's a lot, 3,400. 3,400. The good news is the floodwaters are now receding and some people are returning back to their homes, but a full 600 homes are now being assessed for, to see if they're salvageable or livable or not. 600 homes. I mean, just devastating for the people in that town. Their, their lives right now are, are really in chaos, totally at the mercy of nature. Nothing they can do to prevent the damaging life uprooting Flood in that area. Here's my point. Our Lord is mightier and stronger and bigger than the Grand Forks flood, than any sort of uncontrollable, unpredictable chaos that you might be undergoing in your life now or in the future. Get that fixed. I mean in general, look at our world today, and you know, I try not to to read the news that frequently. I try to read just enough so that I'm, I'm a little bit tied into what's going on. But it's very depressing. Our world feels very chaotic. Our culture is changing so rapidly. World powers are butting heads. Closer to home, though, in your own life, the uncontrollable chaos that you might be experiencing, or maybe your, your health issues, or your uncontrollable kids, or your job feels really insecure, really uncertain right now. Maybe your marriage or your family life and your parenting, it's, man, it's rocky. It's rocky. It's kind of rough. It's kind of uncertain what's going to happen with your, your spouse or with yourself or with your kids. You're just not sure what's going to happen. And just like God's ancient people, they found comfort in the fact that their Lord was bigger than the flood, stronger than the flood. So also must you and must I. We've got to find comfort. We've got to find strength. We've got to take heart in the truth and in the reality that our God is stronger than whatever uncontrollable chaos you are facing today or will face tomorrow. This is why, this is precisely why, our God is our ultimate king. He is our rock in the midst of our uncontrollable chaos. Let's move on to verse uh, 5 here. The psalmist ends with these words. He says, Lord, your decrees, your commands are not just trustworthy... There's a certain kind of trustworthiness that is here. Your decrees, your commands are not just trustworthy, but they are very trustworthy. Very trustworthy. Then the psalmist, he ties the Lord's decrees to the Lord's holiness. And he says, holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Meaning, the Lord's decrees are based on what? The Lord's holiness, the Lord's character, who He is, uh, is where His decrees and His commands come from. Let's take a look at a quote from the ESV study Bible that explains this a little more clearly. It says, God's decrees are very trustworthy and holiness befits His house because the moral order of the universe reflects God's own character and is therefore stable and reliable. His decrees are a fixed point that only those who constantly pursue holiness will constantly enjoy God." You know, this is one very strong argument for the existence of God. Uh, Western societies like Canada, like America, like Western Europe, um, where did the framework, where did the inspiration for many of our basic laws and our criminal code come from in our society? They came from the Bible, they came from God's Word, the Ten Commandments primarily, and the Sermon on the Mount. And it's given us structure to our own society. And you know how corrupt our society is, and our world is, but imagine how much worse our world would be, and more chaotic our nation would be, without the helpful and good order that the Lord's, Lord's decrees give, give even our secular society. You know, decrees such as, you know, uh, no murder and no lying and cheating, no, no adultery, no stealing, no coveting. I mean, these things have protected us from ourselves. It'd be so much worse without God's helpful and life-giving decrees, even to our own general society. But anyhow, that leads us to point number three, our final point in our notes, simply this. Our Lord's commands and decrees for us are based on his own holiness and are completely, utterly trustworthy. Completely, utterly trustworthy. In other words, our ultimate king is our trustworthy fixed point that we can... And need to build our lives upon. He is reliable. He can be trusted. Why? Why is God reliable? Why can He be trusted? Because He is holy. This is the, the ultimate person of character. I mean, who wants to work for a person who is corrupt? Who wants to, to be married to a person who is corrupt? And this happens. But who wants to follow a God who is corrupt? No one does. Our God is ultimately non-corrupt. He is ultimately holy and pure. And that's why he can be trusted. He's not going to mess around with you. He is the ultimate truth teller. In fact, he is the ultimate source of all truth. There's no one that you can trust more than our trustworthy, truth telling, holy, character filled God. Let me give you and finish with a quick analogy. Has anyone here ever built your own house where you live? Okay. That's okay. Has anyone built someone else's house or helped them build their house? Okay, Darlene has. A few of you back there, good stuff. Uh, I used to work as a framer, which was a a home builder in Calgary many years ago, and I discovered I was terrible at it because I nearly killed my boss on day three. And uh, he didn't fire me, and he probably should have. But anyhow, that's a long story in and of itself. I'm not good at this sort of thing, but anyhow, all of us in this room probably live somewhere Maybe you live in a house or apartment or condo or a basement suite, and for your home to be the kind of home for you to relax in and to trust in that it won't crumble the minute that you walk in, Um, for you to to build a stable life and to enjoy and raise a family in, maybe to to start a marriage in and have kids perhaps, your home had to be built according to a certain set of non-negotiable decrees or rules or building codes. For example, for you to live in a a good place, a place that you can trust, it's got to be built in the right location. Is the ground stable? Is it dry or is there a stream going to run through it? Is there good drainage? Is there road access? Can you access a street from where you live? Is the place protected from the wind? So location for your home and building a house is key. There's a second thing. Is it... You you need to have the right design for your home for that to be a place where you can live comfortably. Where will the bedrooms be? Uh, You need a kitchen to cook food, right? You need a living room. You need windows. And does anyone need a bathroom in their home? A few of you? Yeah, you need that. I need that. So you need the right location. You need the right design and layout for your home. Then you need the right construction. The right construction. Is the foundation of your home level? Has someone used a level level? to put your foundation of your home together. And then is it square, Are the walls square, are they kind of like this or that? All right, squareness is so key. 90 degrees is your friend when you're building a home. Are the materials for this home that you're constructing up to code? Where did the materials come from? Are they legal? And by the way, do you need a roof for your home? Does anyone need a roof on the West Coast living in the wettest place in Canada? Roofs are important from what I understand. And so if you follow these basic tenets, these trustworthy principles for building your home, you will have a safe and secure place to live in. You will be able to thrive and to flourish and to have joy and be happy in that place, right? And so much more in the bigger picture. When you build your life on the Lord's decrees that he gives us in Scripture, when you build your life on the Lord's holy character from which Scripture comes from and from which His decrees are sourced out of. His decrees for you in Christ, they have been tested and tried for thousands and thousands of years. His ways, His commands give us clarity and they give us wisdom and they bring us not only uh, spiritual health but also mental health and physical health as well, I think, can result from following God's commands. And as I mentioned, we live in a very chaotic world today. Follow the news. I mean, there is chaos in Korea. We don't know what's going on with Korea. There's chaos in America. All right, I won't talk about that too much. There's chaos in British Columbia, is there not, politically speaking? There's chaos in our culture, as right and wrong are just like blended together and increasingly skewed and confused, and no one knows what is right and what is wrong anymore. There is chaos, I am telling you, in our Sexuality and our understanding of what sex is, and our understanding of what gender identity is, it is just a, a complete mess. There's chaos, though, closer to home in your marriage. There's chaos in our parenting as we attempt to raise our kids in this very, you know, we, we want them to learn about Christ and God's ways, but our culture is increasingly hostile to Christ and his ways, and we've got to raise our kids in this environment which is actually going to make them stronger, but that's another discussion for another time. All that to say, in this world of uncertainty, and in, our, in my world of uncertainty, your world of uncertainty, I, I urge you to trust in the Lord's commands, in the Lord himself from which the commands spring from. And here's a few examples of some of the key commands that Jesus gave us in the Bible. The key commands are to love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as you love who? Yourself. Love others around you as you would love yourself. Love God, love others. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us marching orders for any and all Christians. And the marching order is simply this, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, in a nutshell, to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. And as you, you help people, hear the gospel, they they might be baptized into Christ. And after they are baptized and they they place their faith and trust in Christ, then we're supposed to teach them all that Christ has commanded them in the Bible to help them, to feed their souls with God's truth, to to show them that His ways are trustworthy. They can build their lives on the commands of Jesus. And so we build all that to say, these are some of the commands that we've got to build our house, the house of our life upon, on the character of our ultimate King. He is mighty. There is no one stronger than God. There is no one, no one more eternal than God. He is stable. He is secure. He is trustworthy. He is good. And I just ask you, if you have walked away from God, come back to Him. His door is always open. Repent of your sins. Turn away from sinful self-rule. Come back to Him. Or if you've never been in a relationship with Christ, I'm saying that step of faith is open to you. The door is open to God. You can come to Him if you've never done that before and just open your empty hands of faith and say, I'm ready. I want to start building my life upon you. I understand you, are, you possess ultimate power. You give us ultimate strength in our lives and security in our lives. You give us ultimate hope. You are eternal. Come to Him today. And if you want to come to Him, talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Talk to somebody, another Christian, about that next step towards uh, giving your life over to Christ. That's all I got today. Let's pray together and then we'll join in uh, the time of communion. Lord, I love these Psalms. They are so inspiring for me, inspiring for us all, as we get a better, clearer glimpse of who you are and what you're like. Today, you have amazed us at your strength, at your eternal nature, at your holiness. You have amazed us how good you are and how life-giving you are. You have amazed us that you've actually shown grace to us, even though we've rebelled against you, and yet you give us your your words and your commands to give us life and stability in our lives. We don't deserve that. We're amazed at your grace, you sent your son Jesus to come live our life for us in our place because we couldn't do that. We couldn't live perfectly before you. We fail. And thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Thank you for bearing our sins on the cross, paying the price of death and the penalty of death for us in our place. Thank you for rising from the dead. That gives us hope of our resurrection as well, being raised as you were. We owe you everything. And Lord, if we have strayed from you, we've strayed from your ways, bring us back to you. Bring us back to connecting with our church family, that we would live lives that would glorify you, and that would bring life and health and stability to our own lives and our own families and our, our marriages and our parenting and our jobs. We need you. We need you every minute of every day. And would you come and save us, bring us back to you, or bring us to you if we've never known you, Lord Jesus? Save us and change us. In Christ's name, amen. So now, songs later on. We're also going to take up an offering, which is our opportunity to express our gratitude.